Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the You Are Not So Smart Podcast, episode 15, in between episode one. This episode of the You Are Not So Smart podcast is going to be a little bit different. Uh, We're going to be trying a lot of interesting things in the future, and I'm going to be asking for all sorts of stuff from you in the future. But before we do all that, I wanted to introduce something I'm going to start doing called In Between Episodes. This will be the very first one. So in between two regular episodes, every once in a while, I'm going to break away from the normal format of the show and try to do something a little different or try to include things, try to get supplements in there, maybe read emails, all sorts of stuff like that. So this first one, I'm going to read an excerpt from my second book, You Are Now Less Dumb, about narrative bias. It's a good supplement to the last episode that was on the show that we did with Melanie Green, where she discussed the psychology of narratives and storytelling. So this is an excerpt from um, the first chapter, Narrative Bias. I hope you enjoy it. I recorded this earlier today and ended up recording about 45 minutes Uh, and decided that that's just way too much material and it wasn't as fun as just reducing it down to the single story from within that chapter. So enjoy. At the Ypsilanti State Hospital in Ypsilanti, Michigan, right around the time the hula hoop was invented, Three men began a conversation that would drag each into the depths of madness. Real madness. The kind that earns prescriptions. This trialogue lasted two years, and at times, it soared, with each man literally singing in harmony with the others, At other times, it languished, descending into physical violence. Still, each morning, the men met and each tried at length to get the other two to see things his way. Clyde Benson, Joseph Castle, and Leon Gabor had lived very different lives leading up to their meeting. Benson was a widowed and remarried heavy-drinking farmer in his 70s, Castle was a clerk in his fifties with a desire to be a writer, yet was too hobbled and passive and haunted by a terrible childhood to realize his dream. Gabor was a man nearing forty, wandering from job to job after being transformed by the war. What tied them together was the conviction. 
that they were the living reincarnation of the Messiah. That is to say, each man thought he was Jesus Christ. The psychologist Milton Rokaic brought the three institutionalized men together in a psychiatric ward where he could observe them. In his book, The Three Christs of Ypsilanti, Rokaic writes that he had the men assigned adjacent beds, had them eat together, gave them jobs in which they interacted regularly. In addition, he had them meet daily in a visitation room with a wooden table at its center, across from windows that allowed in light from the world of the sane. Making them constant companions, Rokaic thought, might cause their delusions to cancel one another out. In his opinion, it was a rare and thrilling opportunity to have three individuals claiming the same identity, and not just any identity, but one that didn't allow for any wiggle room. The Bible said there was one Son of God, and now three people who asserted that status as their own sat at the same table with science looking on. Surely, Rokaic believed something would be revealed about the nature of delusion, belief, and the self. And indeed, something was. When first asked to introduce themselves, Castle didn't disappoint. He said, my name is Joseph Castle. And when asked if he had anything else to add, he said, yes, I'm God. Benson was a bit more ambiguous, saying that he made God five and Jesus six. Gabor followed, saying his birth certificate stated he was the reincarnation of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Soon after, an argument began, with each man revealing how insulted he was by the other's claims. Through the lens of hindsight, it seems not only unethical, but also cruel to toss mentally unstable people in a room just to see what happens. But Rokaic was seeking a cure. He wanted the men to awaken to the epiphany of their true identities because, as he wrote, it seems a terrible thing for a person not to know who he really is. After that first meeting, Rokaic was crestfallen. As he put it, the confrontation was less stormy than I had expected. When their meeting adjourned, the men just sort of walked away, feeling confident in their own views of reality. Rokaic wrote, Perhaps they didn't fully grasp the extraordinary nature of this confrontation, at least not in the way we did. As the men met again and again, their individual delusions unfurled, showing their complex and Byzantine structures, each man's explanation of how it came to be that Jesus Christ was trapped in a psychiatric ward in Michigan manifested as a unique maze of stories and logic that would make sense internally for a moment only to collapse as Rokiak prodded. As the constructs fell apart, the men swiftly rebuilt them, and the conversations took on the appearance of people exchanging lines from different plays. Still, each man remembered the intricate details of the other two men's explanations and picked them apart as if he were a political candidate debating the finer points of an opponent's tax plan. Rokiak wrote that he would attempt in each session to bring the conversation back to the impossibility of three Christs and ask the men to address the problem. When forced to explain, they didn't come to a sudden realization that they were being delusional. They didn't reel in awe after being struck by the insight that their identities were showing cracks. No, they just dismissed the other two men's claims. 
Benson said the other two were some form of cyborg and not actually alive. Inside them, he said, machines controlled their movements and provided their voices. Gabor believed the other two men were lesser gods who came after him and then were reincarnated. Castle's explanation was the most accurate and prosaic. He said, the other two men were insane patients in a mental hospital. When asked to explain themselves, the men usually dismissed the fact that they were in an institution. They weren't patients, they said. They were Jesuses who just happened to be in that room at the moment. The posers ought to wise up and worship the true Christ, who was, according to each man, he. Within three weeks, the arguments led to punches, but the violence didn't last. Over the 25 months, most of the conversations were quite civil, albeit filled with nonsense. The one thing that remained constant was that each man refused to budge when it came to his belief. Instead, he desperately defended his delusion. But the methods differed. Benson was stoic but inarticulate, so he lashed out with rage and threats. Castle was more eccentric, tossing bread into toilets and books out windows. He walked away from the arguments and tried to steer the conversations in a different direction when they threatened his identity. Gavor, though, was the intellectual member of the trio, and his delusions were dazzling to the point of being reasonable at times. He spoke at length at the meeting, delivering impassioned, eloquent soliloquies, and often led the discussions and asked his own questions of the other men. Their talks ranged from hunting to whale bones to cookies in England. Still, Gabor's speeches dove right to the bottom of the grandly nonsensical. When quiet, he told Rokaic, he was actually grinding negative engrams in the squelch chamber inside his skull. As time went on, talk of Jesus and God faded. Rokaic wrote, The three Christs were, if not rational men, at least men of a type we had all experienced before. They were rationalizing men. Rationalizing men. The sort of people who find a way to spin everything around them into a tale that makes sense in the context of who they believe themselves to be. The three Christs never changed their beliefs. Over two years of psychiatric care and psychological examination, question and challenge, sitting across from people claiming their very identity to be a sham and claiming that identity to be their own, they never gave in. The other two guys had problems. I'm the one who has it all figured out. As strange as this sounds, from a neurological perspective, from a psychological perspective, the way these men were coping and what they were doing is not exactly abnormal. The fact that the men at Ypsilanti believed themselves to be the same man, Jesus, was the only thing that really stood out about their stories. Everything else they did fell in line with what a psychologist would expect from a human being. You seem to be able to see through the lies and rationalizations of other people, as Rokaic said. You've encountered enough instances of that sort of thinking that you let it go in person, and you gossip about it over tea. It's just part of life, watching other people lie to themselves to get by. Yet, when you do it, it gets swept under the mental carpet. You probably don't wake up and assume you're brushing the teeth of Jesus, but as you saw with the men in Ypsilanti, even at that level, 
you would probably only see through your own flaws when they were copied and pasted onto another person. Like these three men, all of your assumptions about reality come together in a sort of cohesion engine that runs while you are awake and reassures you that things are going as expected. No need to panic. You come along and you take the output of the cohesion engine and use it to make sense of reality. And your preferred method, everyone's preferred method, is to couch everything in the form of a story with you as the hero or heroine. Fighter pilots, when they experience extreme G-forces that suck the blood out of the brain, will report hallucinations. Intense hallucinations that involve a tunnel, a white light, friends and family coming to greet them. The same hallucinations that a person who is close to death will experience, a person who is deprived of oxygen. Even as the brain is dying, it refuses to stop generating a narrative, the scaffolding upon which it weaves cause and effect, memory and experience, feeling and cognition. Narrative is so important to survival that it is literally the last thing you give up before becoming a sack of meat. Any neuroscientist will tell you, a confused mind gets unconfused very quickly. When things seem weird and nonsensical to someone who's had a brain injury, the brain makes them make sense immediately. Disorientation gets orientated even if that means temporarily believing in something that is several time zones away from being the truth. And this is true in a person who hasn't experienced brain damage. A normal brain does this as well. A tangled, uncomfortable situation gets straightened out into a narrative so that the organism, you, can get back to the business of making jokes and wondering what's for dinner. The brain turns chaos into order so that you don't bump into walls and pet scorpions, and at the first sign of trouble, the first inkling of befuddlement, your neurons start cranking out false clarity. And that's what the three Christ of Ypsilanti were doing, and that's what you're doing. Creating narratives to stay sane. The lesson you should take from the deluded men in Michigan is that without your bias for narrative, you would be lost. Remember, your mind is the result of biological processes, chemical and electrical thunderstorms rippling through a sailor custard, honeycombed in spiderweb with blood vessels and other things you'd rather not get on your hands during a meal. That is who you are, and that is what is producing thought, yet that is not what you perceive when you introspect. Inside, you see a drama. You see romance and tragedy, adventure and twists of fate, with you at the center of it all. At a conference in San Francisco called Being Human, the neuroscientist David Eagleman told an audience that after a lifetime of meditation, Buddhist monks are putting only a single toe into the ocean of the unconscious. To plunge any deeper, as he put it, would be like measuring a transistor to make sense of a joke in a YouTube video. To paraphrase psychologist George Miller, you don't experience thinking. You experience the result of thinking. You don't just seek out and avoid danger. You don't just react to stimuli. You recall the past and tell better versions of it to new friends. You interpret and arrange, sharpen and dull, reframe and rationalize. 
When you get right down to it, the self is nothing more than a story. It is the explanation of your own memories to whoever will listen. Who would the three Christ of Ypsilanti be without their narratives? How would they cope with their madness? You may not have convinced yourself you are Jesus returned, but your story serves the same purpose as theirs. It keeps your chapters bound. You and the three Christ of Ypsilanti are not so different. Their delusions are just much easier to see through. Their mental machinery may have been failing them, but their strategies for making sense of what was happening were identical to your own. They didn't fret and freak out. They defended their identities and their viewpoints. Looking at reality through a shattered lens, they still created narratives, stories that told them and other people who they were. Sure, their stories put them in the lead role as the Son of God, but it's not so much different from the role you've created. Just much easier to debunk. The music in this episode of the You Are Not So Smart podcast was provided by Kyle Goins and Drew Garraway, who separately created music from scratch to be used as music beds in episodes of the You Are Not So Smart podcast. I've been using Drew's um, music beds for a while now, but I have yet to use Kyle's. And I just thank you both so much for really adding to the show and making it sound super cool this episode. Um, that is it for this in between episode of the You Are Not So Smart podcast. You can find more great podcasts at boingboing.net. We are so happy to be part of the Boing Boing family of podcasts. And the next episode will be a full episode with an expert, and uh, you're going to love it. It's going to be all about conspiracy theories. So stay tuned for that. Thank you so much. Go to youarenotsosmart.com for links to everything that we talked about in this episode. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp, and I'm very proud to have BetterHelp as a sponsor. I was using BetterHelp before they became a sponsor, and I was very excited to learn that they wanted to sponsor this program. I have recommended BetterHelp to people. I know people right now who I've recently onboarded. I had a friend who had a really difficult medical event and was experiencing a completely new range of anxieties and feelings and concerns. And I recommended therapy. I'd never gone to therapy before. And this helped. Now, a lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. And the question is, time for what? If our time was unlimited, how would you use it? And the best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what is that special thing? What is important to you? What is that thing that deserves to take that slot, that precious time? How do you make that a priority? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, I really recommend giving BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and you will get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. You can do that several times and really lock in with a therapist that 
is able to generate with you that dynamic that's so important. I believe you should be in therapy. I believe everyone should be in therapy for a period of time at least in their lives to sort this out. What's important to you? How do you make it work? And you can learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Y-A-N-S-S today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Y-A-N-S-S.